0: Hello and welcome. I'm Jill Martin, the host of The Morning Bell Podcast. Joining Ian and me on this podcast is Brooke Maggs. Brooke is a freelance writer, narrative designer, and producer, working with the Voxel agents on The Gardens Between, an adventure puzzle game with no text or speech. Her other projects include Narrative Designing on Earthlight, a virtual reality game about the wonders and perils of space, by Opaque Media Group. She regularly speaks and consults on storytelling in games and other media and researches the links between digital and traditional literature. On today's episode, in the media section, we talk about The Magnificent Seven, Grace and Frankie, Ex Machina, and Telltale's Batman game. For the main topic, we chat generally about what we like in video game narrative and where we think it shines the strongest. If you have any questions, you can contact me on my email mailbox at www.mailboxatthepenofjoel.com Thanks, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. My name is Joel Martin, and today we're at the Brunswick Street Bookstore. Ian, you're not supposed to be here.
1: No, I'm not,
0: but here I am. (laughs) But here you are. I know. Thank you for filling in. Luke is apparently down with the Black Plague.
1: Yeah, he is, and we we hope that he survives. Um, I mean... We deeply <laughs> hope this works, yeah. um, and I deeply regret those comments, but, uh, yes. you know, when you told me the topic, I was so happy you called me in, so it's all good. Fantastic.
0: Yeah, so well, how has your week been? What have you been up to?
1: Well, I'll just uh, hanging out. It's been, it's, it hasn't been the busiest week, uh, but, uh, you know, I've, I've been uh, doing a bit of reading, getting into a new book, and... Uh, Generally, just kind of swanning through a couple of Netflix series. A new book? Good. A new book, yes. My copy of Robert McKee's story ah. arrived. So I am lapping it up.
0: Uh, so, not so much a book as much of a tome of literary knowledge.
1: Is. And I was lying in bed trying to read it, and I was like, this is not bedtime reading. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nope. like, I can't, I need time to process these yeah. gems. So,
0: yeah, it's all right. So, I read, uh, talking about things, uh, I read a book, um, A Grief Observed. By yeah CS <S. Lewis, Lewis. Mm. which is something that was recommended to me by a uh, mm. prior guest Katie found mm. and she was like you should you should read this and I read it and man it's it's really good i've heard it's really good i haven't it's read really it strong. it's a uh, it's one of those books that um it's just worth reading because of the the way you can see a person's emotion just roller coaster and yeah. him dealing with it and talking about it so yeah highly recommended Um, So, Brooke, welcome to the podcast. How are you going?
2: Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. No
0: problem. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, How has your week been?
2: It's been really good so far. Um, We have been doing a lot of work in the studio, uh, getting our game on a firm production schedule. Mm -hmm. So I produce and do writing. So we've been doing a little bit of both at the same time, preparing for Games Week as well, which Mm -hmm. is coming up at the end of October. So I'm... Appearing at a number of things mm-hmm. all over that week. So I've been preparing some presentations and, and things like that.
0: Anything upcoming at PAX? Uh,
2: no, not at PAX. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm going to be at She Makes Games on right. Saturday. Mm, yep. uh, Sunday will be GCAP loading, which mm-hmm. is for students. And uh, then Tuesday, Wednesday is GCAP and I'm doing a talk on Wednesday. Cool. Uh, and then... We do have packs and we'll be going along, but we don't have a booth or anything, which actually has probably worked out well for us, as that (laughs) would have been a lot on top of it all. But yeah, and that's really exciting. Yeah, it would (laughs) have been a lot of stress. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Certainly. Yeah, it is. So, But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That would be really good. Um, Yeah. Hmm. And also, I actually put aside some time last night to play... Telltale's Batman series and played the first episode. It was really good. I mean, I love Batman. I've always loved Batman since I was a kid. I used to dress up as Batman when I was small. Um, And yeah, it was... (laughs) It was it's really good mm. except I accidentally made a choice that I didn't want to make at the end. And you're like of no, it. No, go, back, go, back, go back. Yeah, exactly because the UI yeah. um, that popped up looked the yep. same yep. and I was like oh, and then I made a wrong decision. Yeah, cuz it has
0: a timer, right?
2: Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. So um but it was I was a bit hooked and I really enjoy the shorter episodes, so yeah. I can actually feel like I've played a game from beginning to end in a night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. so that was really good, and I'm hanging out for the next episode. Yeah,
0: it's like a book, reading a chapter a night kind of thing. Yeah, So, exactly. yeah, it feels good. Yeah. Um. No, I, I... Generally, for me, I'm the kind of person that, just like Netflix, I like to binge. You so. like to binge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, it, if it's a Telltale series, I like to finish it. But I have a mixed relationship with Telltale tel- games. Some I like... Some yep. are some are not not so much there mm-hmm. for me. But uh but the Batman stuff looks pretty good. I'll
2: yeah, give you yeah. that. Which was your favorite? Which did you play? Um
0: You know, strangely, Tales from the Borderlands. Oh, like okay. i oh, not really? a, I haven't played I'm that. I'm Not one. a big Borderlands fan at all, Ooh. actually. Ooh. Like Ooh, okay. at <laughs> all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <exclamation laughs> mark, question mark. Um mm. but yeah, like it uh Really snappy dialogue, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but, um, that,
2: that one's really well written. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll probably
0: get talking about linear narrative and choice based narrative and sure. stuff like that pretty yeah. soon. So, looking forward to it. <laughs> um, so, moving on to what we've been watching this week. Mm. Ian, let's start off with you. Yeah, well, we've
1: been um, we've been hooked on uh, the Unbreakable Commissionment. It's yeah. been fantastic. Unbreakable. Anyway, really great. And uh, that song gets me every time yeah. uh really enjoying it it's it's well done and I think again it's one of those shows I always say the sign of a good comedy is when you go back to the first series first episode and all the stuff's just there and I can see that with them so really enjoying that um and really consistent as well and picking up things they've done in previous episodes and playing on with them so that's been good mm-hmm. um one movie of notes that I watched uh rewatch Zootopia which was even tighter on the rewatching than it was on the first time seeing it I'm really impressed by Zootopia and um mm-hmm. in terms of a narrative just yeah it's tight it's really good um and I'd recommend it to you rewatching Kung Fu Panda which is a classic hero's journey and oh yeah also is really tight on, on the rewatch I was like this is fantastic I actually um I read once on Reddit a guy saying that his uh, his granddad, who was from rural China, said that Kung Fu Panda was the best des- depiction of rural China that he'd seen Whoa. of his childhood, that he'd seen, like full stop, ever. And he thought it was fantastic, which well. I, I thought was interesting. Um, and then the last one I did was... And you I mean pre- there's actual pandas that practice Kung Fu? <laughs> okay. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> well, I'm going to leave that for Yes. <laughs> That is exactly what I mean, Joel. Dot, dot, dot. And yeah. then in the last one, a more adult movie, um, which I pronounced terribly. I told my mother that I'd seen Deuce X Machina, <laughs> and she said to me, you've seen what? And I was like, you know, The Machine of the Gods, Deuce X. And she's yeah. like, yeah, it's not pronounced like that. So could someone correct my <laughs> pronunciation? Yeah. I just, I still can't even remember how to say it properly. Anyway, so watching that movie, um, it was fantastic. And mm-hmm. again, a really good narrative. Um, have any of you guys seen? The uh, the one that was last year. It's got um. It's not Deus Ex. It's Ex Machina. Yes, yeah. is it Ex Machina? Yes, yeah, Ex Machina. There we go. Yes, I Ex loved Markina. it.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Probably um, one of the best depictions of like talking about AI. We yeah. had a huge episode and just like me babbling on for about an
1: hour about that movie. But yeah, it's it was great. it was fantastic. I was and I didn't quite pick the ending as I expected, which was fantastic. So yeah.
2: I think I think I know that. I think I have seen that one. And he goes to the the house. Yeah, the of
1: yeah, the yeah, millionaire. Yeah, That was brilliant. It was yeah, well played, was and so actually, brilliant. at the end of it, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, it was good. It wasn't great, but then actually, I was like, I think I woke up in the middle of the night and I was thinking it over. I was like, yeah, actually, like I was, yeah, it was a good movie. It was a good movie, it was a good <laughs> movie. <had> <laughs> So, yeah, it was. Um, it's a film that stays with you. Yeah, I it's think. pretty
2: shocking at the end. Yeah, and, yes. but it's like you the like, escalation. Yeah, I can't imagine it of yep. going any other yeah. way. Yeah, no.
1: And then you think about it and you're like, oh, yeah, I can see this. And so, yeah, that was. It's really good. I was really happy we watched that. And at the start, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know what's coming, but uh, yeah,
0: really enjoyed it. Fantastic. Hmm. Brooke, what have you been
1: watching? What
2: have I been watching? Um, um, This is a. I guess it's a little bit of an indulgence one, but it's um, Grace and Frankie on Netflix, and it's got hmm. Lily Tomlin and um, Jane Fonda in it. Oh, really? Oh. And it's basically about these two older women who whose husbands um, divorce them to be together. So oh. the husbands okay. have been okay. having an affair for about 20 I've years. I've heard about this. And yeah, and then it's about how they deal with that, and then these two women initially don't really like each other yeah. that much but mm. have had this thing that they mutually you yeah, know, have yeah. come up against, and they become really good friends, and it's quite hilarious. Some of the comedy's a little bit hit and miss, but I also really appreciate the fact that it's about four – older people like you know senior people mm, <laughs> essentially yeah, yeah. you know you see a lot of young people on tv but you don't mm. see a lot of uh, older people on yeah, tv mm. and I thought that was great and they're all brilliant actors um and yeah that one's it was really good and then I started watching an episode of Luke Cage and I've mm. seen the first episode but haven't gone any further just yet Mm. due to time
3: and
1: initial
2: impressions (laughs) initial impressions are like it like it's it's good um it's yeah i mean i really enjoyed jessica jones and i don't think Mm. this one quite has that impact but it was it was it was good like i could definitely go back for another episode because i I think it's a bit unfair to judge it on just one
0: yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. um Mm. it's curious about luke cage and maybe i'll talk a bit more about this next week when i've formulated more thoughts about it um Luke Cage is one of the shows that um it's very influenced and very focused on issues that Mm. not everyone can relate to right so I think that's the reason that it will have a very um hit and miss kind of uh, effect on a lot of people and that's fine I Mm. think that's good to appeal to specific demographics and not others um I mean, we've been doing it all our lives, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, there's a lot of things about Luke Cage that are good, and a lot of things that not everyone can get, not yeah. everyone can relate to, and I think yeah. that's fine. But um, yeah, we'll we'll probably talk more about this next mm. week. Um, any other films or anything? Um,
2: no. Not recently, I'm afraid. No, it's just my small Netflix uh, experience <laughs> so at the it's moment. It's hard to find time. Yeah, it is, sure. it is. It yeah. is. Um, but yeah, funnily enough, the Telltale thing was like watching TV, but but yeah. interactively. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. No, cool. Sorry.
0: Well, so here's my rant for, mm. for today. Okay. Uh, now, people don't tune into the podcast to hear me schmooze about movies. They hear me trash them. Um, <laughs> but I'm not here to do that. It's It was curious because I went in and... Um I went to see the Magnificent Seven, the the, uh. the remake. Now, mm-hmm. there's a couple caveats that I need to put out there. One, I was a massive fan of the original mm-hmm. uh and of the style that they evoked from Akira Kurosawa's um Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. So with that out of the way, let me let me talk about the the remake. Now um there's two ways that one can approach talking about this movie if you like the original. One, you will hate it because it is a remake mm-hmm. and hence nothing will ever live up to your expectations. Or two, you will love it simply because it is a touchstone of your past and of your childhood. Um, for me, it's more of the second but still a little bit of the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I admire the movie. Um, it's just a very gung-ho western mm-hmm. with zero pretension to be anything <laughs> else. Yep. Uh, at the same time... Uh, I watched Forsaken a couple weeks before I watched The the Magnificent Seven, and Forsaken, for those who didn't listen to the episode, uh, is a western with Kiefer Sutherland and Donald Sutherland, Mm. and um, oh, uh, Michael Winkett and Demi Moore. And that film is a film that prides itself on character development. And it's a Western. But it's a kind of Western where it's like an ode to the Westerns mm-hmm. while still talking very deeply about emotional depth and complexities that we don't always see in like in the Westerns of um, the past. So then I went into Saw the Magnificent Seven, which is literally just an action movie <laughs> yeah. with the most bare-bones plot imaginable. We all know the story couple of dudes get together to go to a village to save the village from a couple of bad dudes. That's basically the plot. (laughs) Now, the, the issue arises is that within the original, it had a very tight middle Mm. Uh, that made it so compelling. It's the conflict. It's yeah. that moment. Um, and, you know, it's that 3X structure we talk about. It's always that middle break. Something happens. Mm. All is lost moment. Mm. And, um, I mean, you've been reading McKee, you, you, Yeah, You get this. Um, it's that moment when you know things are bad. It doesn't look like, you know, they're going to pull through. They pull through, but there's a cost. Mm. With this one... They get the start bit. they mm. get the writing in, the success, the initial success. There's no real conflict in the middle, and then success at the end, and yeah. it's mm. like, uh, you missed something yeah. you missed like you missed tension is is the problem, and even though you, there is still a cost at the end of the movie, it feels like the cost was just it, it wasn't had, earned? yeah, it wasn't earned yeah, right. It just happened because that's what happens. People mm. die um See, so, yeah, that's, that's what really uh, – that, that, that was the failing, I think, of the movie. It was just there was no conflict in the middle. Mm. The conflict was very weak. It was like, oh, yeah, one of the dudes decides to leave. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's like in the original, <laughs> literally the village betrayed them mm. to right. the bad guys yeah. and then kicked them out. All is lost. They have no hope mm. of winning, but they go back because they know it's the right thing to do. Now that's yeah. conflict. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah. they're going to go down swinging. Yep. Um, and they do. Uh, spoilers! It's a, t- it's a terribly old film, so whatever. Um, <laughs> spoilers! For, like you haven't seen it by now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, so in this, in in the Magnificent Seven, I, I will say the casting loved it. Yeah, I mean, but, put Denzel in pretty much any movie, and I yeah, mean, yeah, I'm sold. I'll yeah, I'll watch I'll it. Ethan Hawke playing the PTSD, yep. the Civil War Confederate soldier. Yep. great yeah. touch mm-hmm. it was just really well cast mm. uh, you could see it was a very you know buddy kind of movie everyone yeah. looked like they had fun filming it mm. but yeah if only yeah mm. the narrative
1: kind of let it down
0: that's right interesting so so that's what happened uh let's let's move on to the topic um and for this one we're going to talk about video game narrative mm. Ooh,
3: ooh, ooh. <laughs> uh,
0: so video game narrative is something we've talked about on the podcast a couple of times before, mainly just once with Neil Rennison from Tin Man Games, but we thought we'd revisit it uh, with Brooke and see what she thinks about it as well, because she's got quite some experience in that field. Yeah. So, Brooke, why don't you tell us about what you've done, Okay, and then yep. we can get yeah. into the conversation.
2: Um, So I guess I could start out by talking about how I got into mm. um, games, which yeah, was... Basically, from um, a recommendation, I, you know, found myself... um, I was teaching at Swinburne, teaching game studies, user experience design and things like that and um, I had written a twisted fairy tale and... uh, the Gardens Between, the game that I'm writing for at the moment, its early prototype was a 2D uh, Little Red Riding Hood game mm. where you would um, slide time back and forth and move characters forward and backward in time in their scenes to get mm. them objects that they are desiring. Right. Um, and so, for example, getting um, you know Little Red to Grandma's house. And then... Um, Uh, So, yeah, the Voxel agents sort of were asking around for a rider and I was recommended and it started off being, you know, a day a week or two days a week Mm. and then now it's more two to three and it sort of grew from there quite naturally. Mm. Um, And as we were setting up what we wanted this original story to be about... we wanted it to be a game that would be able to be accessible for people who haven't played games before. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to make an adventure puzzle game um, that didn't have age restrictions, that was accessible, um, that was clear, that mm-hmm. didn't rush you through, mm-hmm. that was enjoyable, and enjoyable, beautiful experience. Yep. Um, and so we made a decision early on um, not to have any text or speech. Right. There was, that's... For a number of reasons, the first one being that um, the language barrier is not there then mm-hmm. um, and it's accessible to a global audience, but also because um, translation is expensive. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> voice actors are expensive yep. and, um, you know, we wanted to make uh, a game, you know, within a budget yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and, yeah, but they were good creative restrictions to have. Yeah. Mm. Um, so a lot of what I've been doing over the past two years, though, for this game is to learn how to tell story without words mm. um, and without dialogue. And I, I init- it's been a process because initially we started off um, trying to figure out the world, and I did do a lot of writing to uncover it. I wrote story Bibles, character profiles, mm-hmm. um, is this a completely fantastical world, and if so, what yep. are the rules for it? Um And then I would write short stories. Um, So we knew we would have two characters because we had some concept artwork to go with, Mm. to start off with, which was these two characters, um, these uh, children, essentially. Um, And we knew we had these fantastical worlds to go with. So um, eventually we came to the story we wanted to tell, which was um, about friendship and growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, not wanting to, I mean, mainly because I was saying that we don't really see many stories about, you know, boys and girls being friends and Mm. getting through things Mm -hmm. together. Um, so we wanted to do that. So the gardens between is the name of the game is Mm. about, um, two friends, arena and friend who fall into a strange world and have to help each other find their way out. Um, and they fall in there. Running away from home, running away from a problem, hmm. um, and they have to learn sort of in the fantasy world how to overcome that real world problem. Hmm. Hmm. So it's got you know ties to things like Alice in Wonderland yeah. and Wizard of Oz, and it has yeah. that same Spirited Away feel. Hmm. So yeah, that's that's what cool. I've been doing there.
0: Cool. And um, interesting that you started with a game that has no text and yeah. no
2: yeah uh, yeah speech. Yeah. I know it's um. It took me a long time to realise that what I actually am doing is writing for the team. Mm. So, Mm. I'd started out by, um, I would be writing short stories or writing story Bibles, and I realised that um, only a few people on the team had sort of read these documents to the end. Mm. Um, And I I was like, oh... Why aren't they reading my <laughs> stories and my words? <laughs> you know,
0: it's almost like poetry. It's right, exactly. <laughs> How can they not like?
2: Yeah, this? I mean, look, it wasn't sterling prose or anything, yeah. but it was. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and so it, was, it took a while to figure out my place. Yeah. Uh, right. yeah, And one of the techniques that that we did to understand the game is because, um, so you slide your finger on the touch screen, it's iPad, mm-hmm. um, to move time backwards and forwards. So the characters move forward and then backwards. Yeah timeline, hmm. um, and they do so in these 3D terrarium-like uh, gardens mm. that turn yeah. as you turn, yeah. the, move your finger. So, right. we actually got Lego and built little mm. le- levels, right. prototypes yeah, yeah. levels out of yep. Lego, and then I would do that, and then I would... Um, Write a short story for what that level could be about and yep. using the geography of the level to tell a story. Sure. So, you were saying three-act mm. structure. Yeah. At the start, the ground is quite flat and yep. then it gets steep, and mm-hmm. then at the end, it looks quite precarious, and then you get what you need at the top. Yeah. So, it's kind of using yeah, that that's right. language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then I would condense that short story to a little poem because mm. um, I'm not. A poet by any means, but I find the form challenges me to get to the essence of yeah. what yep. I'm saying.
0: Yeah, language. Yeah, yeah
2: and then I would def- um, get a Spotify playlist, mm-hmm. get some colors, kind of think about some puzzles that will go in there, and then I would present it
3: mm. to the team and mm-hmm. sort yeah. of
2: say how it might work. Mm-hmm. And that was a good starting point right. to getting me to think about the other creative directions in the team yeah. and mm. how what what they're thinking mm. and you know how to how to yeah think from their perspective because and a lot of the questions i would get from the game designer and the artist and the animator was like yeah that's that's really great but how do we show that you mm. know um yeah the you know the friendship is strained at this point in the narrative that's cool yeah
0: how do we demonstrate how do we
2: demonstrate friendship b- is strained yeah. yeah that's a good question yeah to, you know mm. and, and in a game you know, whose prime directive is to be a meditative, slow, observational mm. puzzle game that doesn't push a player, mm. how do you balance narrative tension with no tension in gameplay? Yeah, yep. yeah, so I would always come in and be very much talking the McKee language <laughs> saying... We need tension. We need mm, drama. Yeah. We need conflict—outer conflict, inner conflict. Yeah. Those yep. things, you know, wants and needs. And it turns out what they want is not actually what they need. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I found that language <laughs> freaked the team out a lot because they were yeah. like, "We can't do that." I you feel- know, we have four people on this team. Yeah. How do we-
3: <laughs> <laughs> you're speaking a
0: different w- language. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think it's it's interesting because um, I feel like writers more often than not find their place within a game development team. A bit harder than others, yeah. because their role is, sure. to a certain extent, nebulous. Mm. They do the story, sure, but they also kind of direct the game. They kind of mm. give you the the malaise that the the rest of the team needs to work with, yeah. mm. and that palette. Um, it was curious because my own my own history with game um, narrative is working as an editor and writer for a team that is generally a non English speaking. Team, except for one person, and that's the CEO. And me talking to him has to translate to him talking to his writer, and that was the kind of relationship I had with with our team. And it was interesting because uh, unlike Brooke, like mine was walls of text, like you know, Mm -hmm. very traditional storytelling, and you know the whole shebang. You know, the the quest, the main quest, the side quest, and it's a it's a classic RPG in that sense. and it's curious because, yeah, I completely get what you're saying. You know, I would I would write back with these huge documents <laughs> and be like, the narrative tension and the theme isn't very good. And they're like, yeah, well, we can't change that because the game's done. You know, like, yeah. you just got to work with, with mm-hmm. what we've got here. Because mm-hmm. um, I was rewriting, not so much creating the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that... That is an interesting thing.
3: Yeah,
2: it's interesting too because um, what's a little bit different with game writing than uh, writing other forms is that there are are two things you need to consider, the character motivation and the player motivation. And Mm. sometimes they are the same and sometimes they are not the same. (laughs) Um, So why am I doing this from a character perspective can be quite different than from a player Mm. perspective. So because The Gardens Between has... Uh, no text or speech. It mm. also means that the game designer has to find really obvious ways to show the yeah. player what they need to do. We can't actually say press X to move now yeah. or jump now. And or then you're
0: like screaming from the back, like nuance. Yeah. New odds. New odds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um,
2: so, you know, we have to work really in tandem or, or here's some narrative and now the game design has changed. Yeah. So here's some more narrative to go around sure. that and step, step, step. Um, so, for example, the the object of these puzzles is to move fire from the bottom of a garden to the top of a garden. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's the basic mm-hmm. directive. But when you mm. come into the garden, the level loads up. How do you know that that's what you're supposed to yeah, do? Right. So there needs to be clearly fire in lantern, mm. a clear fire receiving yeah, thing at yeah. the top. Mm. And then, good, great, that works for game design. That's really obvious and, you know, communicates well to players. Mm. Why? From a narrative perspective, are these How characters are getting yeah. fire from the bottom of a garden yep. to the top of the yeah. garden at like twenty times well, less obviously,
0: Brooke, to burn it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then yeah. I look
2: at the fact like, okay, so what are they lighting? Are they like lighthouses? Are yeah. they you know what what is the metaphor that we can yep. use here? Mm. And since every garden represents a memory between these two right. characters, there are modern objects in the environment that are symbolic of their childhood together. Mm. Lighting them up can indicate remember, or, you know, uncovering what's between us or what has come between us, as the title suggests.
3: Mm.
2: Um, And so that's a good way to show that. Um, And, yeah, so then also you you kind of dial back your expectations, too, about what you can and can't Mm. show and the kind of story that you can tell. It gets you to be very creative. (laughs) Yeah, it (laughs) certainly
0: does, especially, like, coming from a background of, like, traditional narrative and, like, working towards that. You'd probably have the same experience. It's like... It's a it's a different world. Yeah. Um, so you know, moving on, like we've we've talked about how we work as yeah. writers within that space. But I think it's interesting also that that space is an emerging one. It's probably mm. the newest medium of storytelling that mm. we have currently. Um, and I think uh, either traditional fiction is struggling to accept it as a mm. as a uh, as a legitimate industry for writers to work in or that they're unwilling to is is a is a balance probably in between there somewhere mm-hmm. um but you know what what is your experiences with that as well um
2: Overall, I mean, very receptive. I have found people are mm-hmm. uh, very interested in what that entails. Yeah. Um, having said that, I don't, I haven't met two game writers who do exactly the same thing either, so it must be really hard for yeah. anyone <laughs> to sort of <laughs> have an it. understanding <laughs> of what yeah. we do. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, because, you know, it can be a lengthy RPG script yeah. where you are mm. doing that thing. It can be a, an adventure game with no text or speech, yep. um, which requires – and it also requires a lot of – of other writing that perhaps other writers aren't aware of. So for example, for my job uh, with Opaque when I was um, working on Earthlight, I would be writing a lot of documentation that informed the team what we needed to tell the story, yeah. first of all. So it would be asset lists. Yeah, It's like, can we please have, um, is it possible, can we have things on this desk that can tell us about the character? Yeah. What mm. about a, a mug? Can we have that? Is that okay? Cool, mm. that's good. Yeah. You know, and sort yep. of doing that negotiation with assets and things. So I guess it's similar to film in that way, yep. where it mm. needs to be super flexible on mm. the fly kind of writing sometimes. Um yep. Yeah so I find um there are aspects of game writing that uh perhaps other writers don't understand that that's mm. what it involves mm. um which is you know totally understandable yeah. because it can be anything yeah. f- depending on the game. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think
0: um I I mentioned uh I was talking to someone um we were talking about Neil 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 from uh from 10 Man and we I was talking about him and I was like yeah, yeah. He's such a good ambassador for, yeah. for, the, for the gaming industry, especially in Melbourne. Um, and he's, you know, 10 Man Games has, is probably the largest game book adventure company. I can't think of another that um, mm. does it as successful as they do. And, the, and it boggles my mind mm. how they don't get called to festivals, like writing festivals. Yeah. Like, that's, that's the thing that I think the industry really needs to work on. It's like mm. we have such a great group of industry professionals in Melbourne, especially mm-hmm. I'd say. Um, and I don't see them. I don't see them on the, right. on the circuit. Yeah. You know?
2: uh, I mean, you know, perhaps unless they've written a book. If yeah, that makes exactly. Sense. It's like, yeah, listen,
0: exactly. it's, it's all good. It's all good that it's you all have. It's good
2: you've written a book. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Be legitimate. <laughs> no, please be I'm
0: legitimate. Legit. <laughs> Right.
2: That that mm. would be that's true. I mean there were a few um, more panels at the Melbourne Writers Festival that were more games oriented mm. which was good. but
0: continuum had a few as well. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Exactly. Mm. And it, it's really encouraged too because you get to talk about story in a completely different way that can yeah. really help. I mm. mean, you know, hearing about those other mediums is really helpful for me. I mean, I I write a Book, yeah. (laughs) I'm writing a book, I'm attempting to write a book at the same time, yeah. You're writing traditional, which is very ambitious, yeah, yeah, Yeah. and short (laughs) stories and things like that. Um, so yeah, there's no reason why we have to be confined to one medium either, yeah, exactly. And but yeah, perhaps it's because of that. We don't quite know what that involves, or and also the I guess game writing community. When it comes to writers, you know, mm. I, I can sort of count them all on one hand, as far yeah, as right. I know. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, it, they might not know where, yeah, where like to find us. The the
0: <laughs> the attention I think is small. Yeah. I, I, I the reason I bring that up is I think um, when when you do the festival of circuit, when you when you see it, I think that the reason why I say it's it's important is because. The more people you get eyes on this mm. industry, yes. the more legitimate it becomes. Yes, yes true. Because yep. the, the the quieter it is in the background, it's it's not yeah. so much that I want these people to be famous. I don't. All popular, yeah. well, that would be good too. <laughs> but it's like the more people we have from the industry. Yeah. The bigger it's it, the bigger it gets, yeah. and the more respect that it gets, and the more talent it draws, mm. and you know, it's, you, it's an option. It mm. keeps going.
1: It's it's hard as well though. For it's hard for a traditional industry to judge uh, an industry it doesn't engage with. Exactly, because yep. you want to tell me how many you know. 55 year old female yeah. judges of a fiction competition are going to be sitting down and playing dark souls i don't know if there's gonna be many <laughs> yeah uh, who are doing that and so you know it's it, it, it's a tough one and i think yeah. it's gonna take time it's yeah. interesting because you would you get a younger audience and have engaged with this but you think about the initial impressions that people who are now you know baby boomers even have of um video games that start you're know, starting with pac-man and space invaders you know mm. there's a very different experience to something complex that you have today like uh, you know, The Last of Us or something you know, well, Brothers
0: Tale of Two Sons mm. or, yeah exactly you know. <laughs>
1: like if you're still thinking Space Invaders when you're exactly. coming in talking about video game writing oh yeah so you write like the two lines of text that happened Earth was invaded <laughs> defend yeah, it yeah. you know
2: or, or you know from what you know may only be from the moral panic surrounding video games so exactly. you might go so you Deft, write the two Auto. lines of yeah Pac-Man mm. or do you write, or do you write a hype Auto? piece yeah, yeah exactly like, <laughs> a reaction oh, piece no. yeah yeah,
3: It's yeah. like
0: yeah, it's it's a weird. I think it's also a weird time to to talk about um the video game narrative, um mm. because, you know, there was this weird th- discussion about like are video games art now? and and mm. you know that mm. to me that discussion is irrelevant. Like mm. I don't think it's very important. It will be decided as art the more traditional it gets. Yeah. It's just how it is. Um, and even Roger Ebert, uh, when he was talking about video games, you know, claimed that he couldn't see video games as art, but later he said like you know. I'd be happy to change my mind if I saw it. And that shows an openness and a willingness to change your mind. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's my desire to see that. And, you know, that's kind of the reason we bring on people from the video game industry here. Yeah. We're trying to get that get that going. Um, so here, here, here was an interesting thing, talking about, Popular culture and people in interacting with video games, uh, the Westworld creators of the recent HBO TV show, um, mm. Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, mm. um, they were speaking about how video game narrative influenced their decision making on on mm. Um, mm. writing the story of Westworld. I
2: didn't know that.
0: And mm. uh, and it, it's there's, there's a couple of articles floating around talking about it, and it's worth worth reading. Um, mm. And it's not that kind of blase, like I play video games too. Mm-hmm. That that <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah. thing. It's it's really an You can see that depth that they get it. You know, they're Mm. talking about Bioshock. They're talking about um, those kinds of games, talking about choice and how you can just Mm. walk past and ignore a conversation completely. And, you know, things that gamers get, but maybe not the rest of Mm. um, the writing industry or just Mm. the general public gets at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it, it is getting traction and I hope that it keeps getting traction.
1: I think you'll find as well that it's more in traditional fiction. I know for myself you know video games played a huge role, whether I realized it or not when I started writing video games informed so much of what I did, especially you know Final Fantasy had a lot of uh, there's a lot of background noise in my head from the from my formative years playing those games, you know <laughs> the stories that kind of i, I absorb. like yeah them. yeah, and they spend that time and you kind of think over them, you think over why you love them um it's it's interesting though that in the end story remains the same you know let's get get back to robert mckee again but you yeah. know, story is so key in video games because um there's only so far that flashy effects and things can take you and then you've got a gap you know and, and people can you can get so far with like multiplayer online but that's kind of a niche again yeah. if you really want to have a game that that affects people when people play a game they say but that's that moment that you mm. were like oh, and there was a plot twist you know mm. um that can really get you, and you're actually invested. Um, but if you're lacking that, it's a very complex balance, of course. Because yeah. if the gameplay sucks, but the story is strong, well, no one's going to keep playing it long enough to find it. Yeah, the exactly.
0: Arts. It's like, it gets good, guys. Yeah.
3: Mm,
1: nah. Promise. Yeah.
3: Um,
0: it, it, it's interesting because I think I think there are certain ways that narrative works within gaming that works better than yeah. other forms of narrative. Mm. Um, I think there is a hierarchy to to a certain extent. Making And it's not because I don't believe like, oh, this story is better than that. I'm talking about making use of all the mechanics that a game can provide you with. Yes. I'm not talking about like, right. oh, you know, Spec Ops is a better story than Mario. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> no, no. I'm talking about... Using the mechanics that, that video games provide you. Mm, yes. Talking about Spec Ops, this is this is a bit of a, ta- a tangent. Mm. Spec Ops: The Line uh, was a game that was released, I don't know, a couple of years back, I mm. think yeah. now, and it had a bit of a buzz uh, within the media of being, a, you know, a really morally interesting game and talking mm. about war and all that kind of yeah. stuff, um, using the story established by Heart of Darkness, you know, mm-hmm. that, that kind of storyline. And it was looking at war in a way that other, you know, military shooters hadn't. It was curious because I looked at it back then and I was taken up by it. I was like, this is great. This is, you know, the gameplay sucks, obviously. But, like, Mm. (laughs) the story was, like, engaging and it kept Mm. me interested. And I was like, wow, this is really good. You know, I looked at it, uh, uh, like, a couple days ago. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's really heavy-handed. Mm. Yeah, I was right. like, man, they just really shoved that down yeah. your throat sometimes. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't think about it when I was in it because I feel like within that short period of time, mm. video game storytelling has gone so far. Yeah. The nuance, the way we tell stories, mm. how we tell stories mm. within the medium is crazy. Yeah. Mm. And then looking back at Spec Ops and it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're playing with Lego, but it was actually Duplo, and you just did not know. Yeah. Right.
2: That, I mean, and two, like, uh, just w- going back a little mm. bit to what you were saying before, is story um, plays a few other major parts in making up a game, is the player motivation again, yep. Yep. and sort of motivating you to engage in that gameplay, but mm. also giving it context. So, yeah. you know, with a game like Spec Ops, the context you know, is set for why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Um, supposedly, yeah. you know, mm. um, and a good game does, yeah, justify that to a certain extent. Like I loved Bioshock and I, mm. it's one of my, you know,
3: it inspiration all
2: all of all time series, yep. yeah. mm-hmm. but I spent a lot of that game looking at dumpsters, mm. collecting things, yep. you know, yeah. <laughs> it was such a beautiful game, but I was always looking in bins, yeah. you know? Um,
1: so. There, there's <laughs> the line. Yeah. It was such a beautiful game, but I was always looking in bins.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, scavenging for ammo and things Mm. like that but that also made me feel a little bit more you know stressed or you know thinking about how I'm going to engage Mm. which you know really adds to the world and so narrative, yeah, provides context for what I'm doing, why am I doing it, yep. how do I keep going, do I want to keep going? Mm. You know, narrative is mm. also a carrot, really, in yep. games. It can be. Um, you mm. know, I'm well, I'm going to keep playing because I'm it to... Is it a carrot or is it a stick? Is it a carrot or it is? it, from what you were saying, yeah. it can be a stick mm. as well. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, I guess, you know, you have a choice with... Um, so when we were working on Earthlight, when we were scripting, we had to think about if a player is actually going to do what we want them to do. So, you know, a player can choose to assume the character that you're mm. encouraging them to play they yeah. may not be a character but if they are and they're supposed to go through that door now mm. you also have to script for if they don't go through the yeah. door if yeah. they run the other direction if they throw something through a window and it's like mm. um what are you doing player yeah. <laughs> you know
3: yeah, yeah
1: well that's interesting because if i think about the, the game which i don't know if i would call it formative but um i think about knights of the old Republic. Uh, Where you had the very first one? The very first one, yeah. Where you had uh, the the. I remember my brother bought it for me for Christmas, and I had no idea, no idea what I was getting myself into. I was like, "Oh, okay." And I sat down and played it, and this this world suddenly came to life, and the choices you could make, and how they actually affected things, and it it was it was well thought out in terms of all the different things Mm. that you could do. Mm. And and I think about a game like that, and how it really captured me up. It had good um, good story turns in it, Mm. uh, great first, second, and third acts, all of them fantastic. but then there are some games which I've played where after a while the narrative just I don't I stop T- caring T- and you yeah. just you, you tune out and like you start skipping over dialogue mm. and I mean
0: the Witcher MMO's- three
1: <clears> the Witcher three I was right there sorry oh, yeah. but towards the end yeah, I'm no, like right. yeah I don't care what you're doing okay thank you in fact I haven't even finished it to be I honest. just want to have a ponytail and two swords <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right that's I just want to run around um you know but after a while you kind of like you check out yeah and so actually keeping that compulsion there to to engage and then especially to to find all the little bits of storyline that can be around the edges that's tough mm.
0: that's yeah tough. so tailing off from that point and segueing on to where do you think narrative is at it's most comfortable then what do you think are examples of games that like did narrative yep. in a way that you found alright well
1: I'll, I'll kick off you know I, I have to go to Final Fantasy <laughs> because those were the games <laughs> and that it happened to Final Fantasy and Zelda I'll, I, I'm an RPG yes. fan you know through and through um, but I'll say if yeah, Final Fantasy has done some good and some absolutely baffling decisions <laughs> in terms of their storyline Line, um, But, but so you know, true. if you haven't played them, 7, 8, uh, 10, and 12 are all excellent storylines, uh, the strongest mm. of which being 7. 8 has a storyline that really grows on you, and, you know, the more you think about it, the more you enjoy it. But 10, um, I think I was mm. telling this the other day, 10, I, I just about shed a tear at the end of it because it's so well done and how it captures you up in its world. Mm. That by the end of it, you know, when you're watching the very end and the, the kind of the finality of it, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, finishing and it really compels mm. you to go through. Mm.
2: Super ambitious stories too. Like yep. they're absolutely sweeping yeah. mm. games that have these amazing yeah, yeah stories. Mm. I mean Final Fantasy VIII was one of my first games that I remember just spending hours and hours and hours on because I had to know if Squall and Renoa were gonna get together. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I just and, and I loved ten for the same reason. Um yep. You know, but but also, you know, I found Ten was interesting because it was very much Eunice's story in mm-hmm. a way, yep. um, even yes. though you were not playing her yeah. at all. I mean, you know, you had the opportunity to, but it was sort of following her through um, mm. all of that. And, you know, the costume design in these games and the narrative yep. is just... amazing so yeah Yeah.
1: yeah. I I think if to sum it up for me with with 10 and then I'll leave my Final Fantasy rant but with 10 (laughs) and I'm going to give major spoilers here so just you know just just skip skip forward a couple (laughs) of minutes because it's a brilliant game Mm -hmm. Um, the moment in the middle of it when they, they set this up so well where they're whistling and they've got the fingers in their mouths and they're whistling. And you know, uh, Titus, uh, Titus talks to mm-hmm. to Yuna and says, you know, I'll teach you how to whistle. And so he teaches her, and that's fine. And he says, whistle, and I'll come for you. And then at the end of the game, you know, oh, mm. it, I it, see it, it coming. cuts away yeah. from. Well, you know, it has the end, and, and it all turns out that he's he has to go. And um, and then it the screen goes black, and then you just you just hit, see this ocean and you hear the sound of whistling, mm. and it's just it's Some just magical and it's spot. got you right there and I was like mm. wow that is it's powerful that's good she, narrative she's whistling. yeah it's good narrative isn't it and yeah. you're there and you're like the payoff mm. is huge mm. anyway that's my final fantasy run done. <laughs> when it's done well though, that sweeping it really RPG comes is together. brilliant when it's done badly forget it <laughs> you know yeah. Brooke what about you
2: uh, I have a number of favourites. I mean, mm-hmm. I think in terms of most interesting um, and what absolutely cleaned up at the uh, Independent Game Awards uh, this year was Her Story, mm-hmm. which yeah. is um, written by Sam Barlow uh, because the way the game design very much really helped with the narrative. Yeah. Um, so the premise is that you ha- like start off the game with this sort of murky looking desktop mm. and which sets mm. you up as a cop sitting at a station like putting together um these interviews that you can only view a very short amount i think it's like 10 15 seconds worth yep. of video at each time you can only queue up about you know 10 or 15 uh, three or four sorry uh chunks of those videos and then right. you're watching the interview of this woman talk about um uh, I think it's the the murder of her husband from my memory, mm. and you can't work out if she's done it, um, uh, if she hasn't done it, and you basically just spend your time watching these videos. You have the ability to tag videos, to write notes about them, mm. and that's about it. Yep. So you go through and trying to uh, like. Uh, attain like figure out what's going on mm-hmm. and then you'll end up watching a key video that completely changes your right. understanding of what you think the story is mm. and then you're like no she didn't do that on tuesday at two o'clock she was over here <laughs> so i literally found myself like pulling out pen and paper and yeah, writing yeah. down the key yep. bits of information yep. And I was building a story of what happened in my head. Very much Mm. like, you know, investigators do. I felt like an investigator. And Mm. then I was pretty sure I'd figured it out. And there's no definite end point to this Mm -hmm. game. You sort of finish off once you've seen all of the things and you're like... Yeah, I think I, I think I know what happened, you mm. know. Um, and and it's got twists and curveballs in there because you're also paying attention to what she's wearing in each mm. video yeah. mm. to get an idea of the timeline and the chronology. Yep. Yeah. Sensational. Um, mm. Another favourite one uh, recently is Gone Home yep. and Firewatch. Uh, yep. Both you know, super cool in terms of environmental storytelling and mm. yeah, yeah, I won't dive into both <laughs> of them because I could it's talk okay. forever, but yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, they're some of my favourites. Yeah, mm.
0: um, for me it's it's interesting because I think, um, like I mentioned, I think that stories is at its best when it works with the gameplay very yes, strongly naturally. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, you know, in the end it is a game and the story has to service the gameplay in the same way that the gameplay has to service the story. I think it's a symbiotic relationship. I don't think one has the upper yeah, hand. I, I think agree. it's a weird discussion when people talk, is it a story game or is it a game, you know? Yeah. It's like yeah. I, I don't think that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I would say that the first Dark Souls really, you know, tops it for me. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not uh, the first that has done it. It's taken a lot of Influences from other games like Castlevania, and you know that Zelda-style gameplay. Um, But in terms of its story, I think the thing that's so interesting is its um, its complete trust and faith in the idea that it's okay to miss stuff. It's okay to miss entire levels uh, that yes. designers and writers mm. have put <laughs> yeah. hours and hours into yeah. work. And yeah. it's just in the, in a painting that you can only get by going to an area and, t- you know, getting a doll to go to the pa- It's like, what? Yeah. It's huge amounts of content that you might miss, but mm. it's, it makes it so that the, the the experience is a cohesive one. It doesn't. There's no quest markers. There's no um, you know dialogue yeah. options. While there are a few, like I would count maybe a hundred lines of dialogue you would maybe mm. hear in the entire Ooh. game. Yeah. Um, it relies on environmental storytelling. Entire YouTube channels have sprung up just talking about the lore of Dark Souls. Mm. <laughs> Without and, and the thing is, people can play Dark Souls without paying attention to any of that. No. Yeah. They can yeah. play it yeah. for the oh so hard experience and ignore mm. the rest of it. Yep. Or you could be like me and I absolutely adore the you know, how level design is so mm. integral to storytelling. Mm. Yeah. Um and yeah, so it it's definitely that my example. And you know, there's the classic RPGs that I admire and love. Mm. But I think Dark Souls when I was talking about when gameplay is at its strongest that's mm. that's that's what i think as well mm. um what about bugbears what don't you like in a story you were mentioning to me and about mm. how you tuned out in a game
1: yeah i tuned out in uh, diablo 3 mm. uh pretty darn quickly and it was it was the lack of um i think it's the fact that when i played the original diablo and i didn't mind just running around whatever the mindlessness of it but uh, eventually you anyway, know for some people they love that you know the yeah. dungeon crawl the just the the hack through and that's fine but uh when i was playing this and there was there were a lot of damsels and damsels in distress i was coming across a lot of good and bad you know oh the evil person has come to destroy us <laughs> yeah. oh you destroyed them my hero and i was like uh i don't i don't believe this anymore like you know it's i, I don't believe in the archetypal hero like that yeah. and so maybe that's just me being slightly older and cynical but yeah that that really bothers me when you get to that point and you're kind of like uh eh. you know um, this. another thing that does also annoy me though in, in gameplay i will say is the uh uh, one thing I liked about, um, and you guys can disagree with me on this, one thing I liked about Nazi Old Republic was the fact that it was kind of good and evil, really like obvious good and evil, there, you know. And <laughs> the sometimes, Bioware choice. Sometimes, yes, yeah, sometimes super subtle kind of things, but at least mm-hmm. there was good and evil. It annoyed me in. Um, in uh, uh, I'm having N7 armor. I'm having an absolute uh, mind blank. Yeah. Oh, Mass
2: Effect. Mass Effect. Thank
1: That's you. Mass Effect one. did annoy me the fact that you could go either good or evil. And, like, it didn't really make any difference at all. They mm-hmm. kind of, like, just the person reacted the same way. Like, if you're like, I hate you, the person's like, fair enough. If you're like, <laughs> I like you, like, fair enough. And you're <laughs> like, ah. Okay. Yeah. It's flavor. doesn't feel like human reactions, mm-hmm. you know, to that. It feels like you can do anything you like and you're still going to get to the same point. And that frustrates me as well. So, those it, two things.
0: It's interesting when you when you talk about bioware because I think bioware storytelling is very heavily revolving around appealing to a very large market. Mm. So it has to hit things like voice acting, mm-hmm. um, yeah. uh, motion capture, all this kind of stuff, and all of this costs a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you know. Back in the day, Fallout 1, you know, those mm. days when you could have like <laughs> 10 choices and all have multiple branching yeah. parts, it's yeah. because they didn't have to pay voice actors. Mm. They only mm-hmm. had to pay the writer and like animating basically, um, uh, I forget the name of the art now. It's, um, mm. oh, the, the Planescape Torment style art. <laughs> I've just blanked. Um, mm. but, uh, the hand-drawn art style basically, mm. right. uh, so it it wasn't that huge emphasis on on all this this money mm. and so that I think finance is a big deal to do with the constraints that you know they they are mm. put yeah, under definitely. um yeah. And then you can see that like in, in pretty much everything that um, Bioware puts out. It's very heavily into the spectacle. And some of the spectacles mm. are great. Yeah. But it, it lacks, I mm. think, for me anyway, some of the depth. Yeah. What about you, Brooke?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, I really enjoy Dragon Age Inquisition. It yeah. had mm-hmm. a lot of depth for me. Yep. Um, and, yeah, I think Bioware do a lot of great things in terms of story and allowing you to choose and, mm. you know, be who you want to be, I suppose. Um Bugbears yeah, probably have a lot to do with, you know, damsels in distress and yeah. um killing off women to give male characters more depth. That's, yeah um oh, and yeah, yeah things <laughs> like that. Um that that it's just like, oh come on, we can definitely do better now, I'm mm. sure.
3: Yeah.
2: Um Oh, I had a I had a bugbear as you were speaking and it's gone from me for the moment. Um I uh writing. Hmm. I don't know, like I don't necessarily feel like I need to have choice, yep. but um, I, I think, you know, a, a good story can be quite linear in games yeah. as well. But mm. perhaps when you have choices for seemingly perhaps no reason yep. or yep. Uh, also um, mm. things that are like quests that I must complete mm. that are clearly there to pad the game out and oh, make it yeah. longer. Um, and that, yeah, that don't actually add to the story. But it's like, can you please go and collect ten sheep and then come back to me, and then I'll feel happy. And if yeah. I feel happy, then you can move on and yeah. actually get yeah. part of the story that you you're looking yeah. for. Mm. So I spend a lot of like labour and work time <laughs> in games, mm. um, yeah. trying to you know make farmers happy or something like that, so that I can then mm. get to where I need to go in Dragon Age to get it, my story. I was about <laughs> to mention
0: Inquisition because I, yeah, I like yeah. Inquisition. I think it has really good elements to it. Uh, really good dramatic tension as well and just character building for some of the characters anyway. Um, the interesting thing about Inquisition, I feel like there was this, like, this weird relationship between... Th- what the theme of the story was and mm. what it actually was because it's like right. you're this you're a giant inquisitor controlling a massive mm. organization. Who yeah. fetches the sheep?
2: <laughs> yeah, you apparently do. Apparently you do. You yeah.
1: micromanagement yeah. anyone?
2: I mean, yeah, it's like, <laughs> no, you gotta delegate, bro. I had a yeah. I had a bit of a similar reaction to Fallout Four. I really loved mm. Fallout Three. Um Fallout Four went a lot bigger and yeah. and more sweeping and it was fantastic and I, I was compelled by the setup, you know, my My uh, child was lost, my husband was Mm -hmm. killed, I had to go and find them. Cool, I'm totally on board with all of that. I get dropped in the wasteland and I have to sort things out for myself but then there was this whole new thing about building a village mm. and, and now I have all these people in the a village thing. that I need to care about Now I'm just like I just don't care <laughs> <Yeah. 'cause
1: laughs> I just want the story I just yep. want
2: to go save my child now yeah. you know I want to go find out what happened but the the game kind of I mean I didn't give it much of a go to be honest it was pretty much a cut off point for me yeah. but,
0: right. but I think it I, was for a lot of people yeah, yeah. but
2: mm. I also felt like oh no now I need to look after this village otherwise mm. I'm not going to get the benefit of the, the, the gameplay benefit, that I yeah, need yeah. to complete the game in a yeah. quick, timely yeah. manner. <laughs>
3: um,
1: if I just had a thought as well on the, uh, when you talk about a fetch quest, which actually was handled well, The Witcher 3, um, the it's The Witches of Crookback, bog yes. i'm thinking i yeah, believe right. that is a story where they do fetch quests really well and the, the choices are so morally ridiculous <laughs> that like you know the, you just i was looking through and i, I paused it in the middle <clears> of it you know <throat> looked through to try and figure out if there's a way you could get a good outcome i'm nope. like oh my goodness this is horrible nope but yeah. it's it's really compelling still yeah
0: okay. so, th- yeah going off that point i think the witcher was one of those examples where it's like Yeah, it does, like, some examples of story, right? Mm -hmm. But my goodness, it does some very wrong as well. Mm -hmm. It's like, you just... It's so archetypal sometimes. It just goes down that that path. Um, It's curious because, you know, it's one of those games that has a massive audience for it. And a lot of them love it, and and I wish Luke uh, could could defend it. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the, the storytelling of that. Mm. It, it, it can have its moments, especially when it's focused on the mystery of actually being that character, yeah. a monster hunter. Mm. But once it gets into the entire, like, save the world plot, then I'm like, I'm not in anymore. Right. So mm.
2: I think uh, one of my favourite games too is Vampire the Masquerade
3: yes, Bloodlines so um, it's my
2: all time favourite I play yep. it every year to remind myself Which of why I love games Yeah, <laughs> and one of the reasons is because um, you get you so you play this game where the general overarching storyline is the same but you can mm. choose different vampire yep. clans to play as so if you choose to be a Ventru, you have more powers of persuasion than if you choose to be a Bruja you have more combat Abilities. Malkavian. Yeah, and that was my (laughs) favourite plan to be because if you're Malkavian, you're naturally mad, which means all the dialogue (laughs) options completely (laughs) change. That's
0: great. So you have an argument with like. Street signs.
2: Yeah, and you could replay <laughs> so this funny. game yeah. and get a completely different experience of a very similar narrative, but but different in the way that you mm-hmm. interact and you uncover sides of characters you would not have seen if you hadn't have played from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. And I think games are so interesting that way because they let you experience different points of view over and over again, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that was really interesting to me and perhaps something... That I haven't seen a lot of mm. uh, since. Yeah, but uh, again, that I might think, just I th- be me. I think it comes mm. to
0: that—that that ambition. You know, yeah. it's like, do we do something that's ambitious? I mean, Troika died. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> it's sad. Like, and a lot of the members did move to. Um, and I forget the, mm. the name of the studio <laughs> now. Uh, they made. I don't know something. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> I recently, That's, it's vague enough. I'll, I'll, I'll i obli- uh, Obsidian, Obsidian Entertainment. Oh, oh, right.
2: okay. A
1: lot yeah, of the members, founding members moved of there.
0: Okay. moved there. Yeah. Um, which is which is really good, and I hope they they do great stuff. Uh, but it, it's curious with with Vampire because you're right. It's held up as such a great example, but very little development teams are willing to like take the risk take again. Risk. Yeah. Yeah. You
1: actually, you might have hit on one other thing as well. We haven't mentioned it yet, but building empathy. In yeah. games. That's something right there which, you know, you can do so well. And if you think about the games that I loved, I've absolutely had empathy for the characters. I think about the games that I didn't care about, I just I haven't been able to get empathy. with them. Yeah, and therefore yeah. I'm not really... And that's why with some of the side quests, I'm like, oh, look, I'm not really that interested in going into them whereas you know in a game in some of the rpgs you've played where you know some of the characters are so compelling um and you just you want to find out more mm-hmm. about them especially um I, the classic one was vincent valentine in uh, final fantasy 7 where you could miss mm-hmm. his entire storyline but then when you started to delve into it you're like wow this guy's had a tragic life and you know you could find these little tidbits of information by having him in your party at the right spot and it was just mm-hmm. so compelling
0: you yeah. know it, it's curious i um and I know I rag on a lot about this, uh, but uh, within Oblivion and within Skyrim, now mm. Oblivion was a game that I considered to be one of the worst games that Bethesda has put <laughs> out, um, and Skyrim is a vast improvement, yeah. uh, though it has its problems. I feel like in, in many ways, um, within narrative, it's it's a it's it's a struggle. It's a choice that we make as as narrative designers, or writers. Do we wish the player to be a powerful character? Do mm. we wish mm. the po- character to care about? their impact on the world yep. or do we wish them to care about the world and i mm. feel like you can have both but very few do both mm. um and within skyrim you don't really care about anybody in that world very yeah. much um all both people. yeah they're all terrible um <laughs> and you know and the only thing you care about is your progression through the story and yeah, generally most people don't even Care very much for the main storyline. They do the side quests, and yeah. mm. you know they upgrade their character. And it's a curious thing as a as a writer to look at that and be like, "Well, there's there's opportunities there." You know, mm. I think the I think uh, Elder Scrolls is an amazing universe. Mm. I think Morrowind is the the best example of that. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, I'm I'm curious to see, and I feel like the innovation will come from indie companies. I feel like they pushing yeah. the
2: uh, well, yeah. yeah, there are some sensational games that, <coughs> first of all, don't champion the hero narrative. That I yeah. think is really important too, because that's very much pushed in games: the quest and the hero. Yeah. And yep. but there are so many different stories to tell. Yep. Yeah. Um, I have not played it yet, but that Dragon Cancer is meant to be an amazing game mm-hmm. um, a- about you know real life issues, about a family suffering. Yep. Um, and uh, you know, uh, Journey is another favourite of mm-hmm. mine yep. that yep. you know tell. A a wonderful narrative that's not—that kind of is, I guess, a hero's narrative to a certain extent, but but kind of not really. Mm. You know, um, you know, the game Flower and Flow by the the same game company. yeah, there are a lot of games that are not necessarily that hero's quest. Um, mm-hmm. Sybil is another one um, by Nina Freeman and uh, um, her team, which is very much just like a, a memoir about mm. her time meeting this person on the internet. <laughs> you mm, know, um, yeah. and you click through and play as her and sort of try and f- figure out what's going on. And mm. you know, that's that was really awesome. So there's a lot of games. You're right by indies that are. Mm. Not necessarily this, you know, guns blazing, you making an impact, you know, very, you know, individualist um, centric gameplay. Mm. Um, There are a lot of great serious games, you know, about, you know, poignant issues, I suppose, but also games that are exploring. Papers, please. Yes, papers, please. Mm -hmm. And, you know, things that are exploring to... Um, maybe it's not all about you, you know, yeah. and your mm. quests, yeah. you know, maybe you need to yeah, be a little bit more conscious of the world and the world impacts you, in fact.
1: Yeah. And mm. Yeah, yeah mm. and if, if I, uh, one game I have to throw out there as well, I just remembered it. Um, if you do want to try something, it is a bit different. Um, The world ends with you. Uh, it's a oh, fantastic game yeah, uh, which totally caught me off guard. It was an old DS game. It's now on the uh, on the uh, on your iPhone. You can get it for the cheap price of sixteen ninety nine. I don't know. They just square in it Oh, of course. but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but no. Mean, yeah. But that game as well is not. It's not the classic hero narrative, but the way it unv- unveils itself and it's set in the Shibuya district of um, of Tokyo, and you just don't see it coming. All the stuff in there. So that's mm-hmm. another game which which doesn't quite take it from that point of view. And I know we haven't even touched on it, but there'll also be changes as more women are involved in the industry. Yes. So, so important. And, and the, and that games are stopped being looked at as like a, a male centric. uh, I think that that Mm. attitude is definitely changing, but I think there'll be a lot of people out there as well, though, who assume our video games, you know, it's just guys.
2: Yeah. A lot of women play games, you know? um, Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think, you know, the sooner those stories change, you know, and, and yeah. you know, the better. But it does also come from a matter of, yes, there are a lot of, there there aren't heaps of writers, I guess. I mean, in the games industry, there also mm. aren't, there's even less female writers, you know, yeah, yeah. and yeah. so that's definitely uh, a thing as well. Um, changing the topic a little bit, I hope you don't mind. What, what I really like to, what's interesting about, um, storytelling with games is that, for example, with a game like Vampire, mm. I could play Vampire from one perspective and then you both could play from other perspectives mm. and when we got together and sat down and told a story about how we went through that world together, yeah, the water they would the be different yeah. and I'd say, well, I went over here mm. and did this and did this yep. and did this mm. and then I made a choice to save her and not yeah. not him. Yeah. What did you do? And mm. then you would perhaps, Joel, done something completely mm. different yeah, right. and, and we can't necessarily talk about a book in that way or talk about a film in that way or talk about a a play in that way. We all have our own little stories of Mm. how we encountered the game, you know, um, and we can maybe say, oh, I didn't get that bit. So I actually tabbed out and checked a walkthrough and decided to do it that way. And that's so interesting because... You've made a conscious decision to engage with the story in a way that that mm, yeah. you got to get the answers first and then make a choice or you mm. know, the way that we engage with games is not always I'm completely immersed in the game. I might tab out and go, Wait, there's a big key decision here. I'm just gonna read up a little <laughs> yeah. bit about what might happen. <laughs> and <laughs> if it's line. gonna ruin my game <laughs> Like and, and I wanna
0: two, make an informed like, decision. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and
2: like, you know, playing this Batman game, I was I was completely like, mm. Yes, I've made all the right decisions about how I want to be Bruce Wayne, and mm. then I got to the end of um, this mm. episode, and the UI looked similar to the detective <laughs> UI, and yeah. I just accidentally clicked yeah. on the wrong thing, and I, you know, I brutally murdered someone in a yeah. way that I didn't want to, and I'm like, no, and and yeah. Telltale are great too because they don't let you go back and yeah. remake those decisions. I didn't want his face on a hook. Yeah, 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 yeah unless you <laughs> replay the whole episode. Yeah, but what it does tell you at the end is then it gives you a percentage yeah. list of how many people have made the choices yeah. you. Oh, wow. made yeah which is a really interesting way to it's engage cool. with the story again too because you're like oh wow i was actually the mi- mm. the minority on that choice or mm, yeah, yeah i just think that's super interesting that maybe a lot of people don't know about yeah or don't think about when it comes to games and story
0: yeah. yeah that's right and i feel like a lot of writers who get into the video game industry you know they come from a traditional background for the most part either because they've studied in it and worked in it and then come into it and they're like Whoa! I need to do so much more here. You know, yeah. it's a it's yeah. a it's a wider industry, and I, I think it's a fantastic industry. Um, and I'd love to see uh, more examples of good storytelling in the future. Mm. Well, thank you very much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to wrap up with our social media links. What we're going, what's coming up? We didn't. Uh, unfortunately, we've run out of time. I wanted to talk about the impact of VR and where that's going, oh, yeah. but um, unfortunately, time. we've just had too much fun. Um, so. Let's start with you, Brooke. Where can people find you on social media? What have you got coming up?
2: Ah, yes. um, So, uh, thevoxelagents.com is the name of the company. That's making the gardens between, which is also TheGardensBetween.com. dot com. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep a Tumblr called AdventuresWithTime.tumblr.com, dot com, which um, is our game dev blog, I suppose. Um, I'm on Twitter at brooke underscore mags, and you'll find the Voxel Agents on Twitter as well under the Voxel Agents. Um, and yeah, I will be walking around at PAX, so you could tweet at me if you wanted to ask any questions or. You know, at any time. Come say hi. Yeah, <laughs> come say hi. Exactly. Yeah.
0: There you go. That's cool. Ian, what have you got?
1: Yeah, out? so um, I have a novella that's going to come up for pre-orders soon, which is very exciting. It's called The Clockwork Dungeon, and uh, cover art reveal will be, probably by the time this is out, I'll have the cover art reveal up, which is very exciting for awesome. me. I haven't done a, uh, a novella in a little while. Um, it's been 18 months, so that's good. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at IHLaking. Um come and hang out and I will tweet a gif to you if you
0: tweet to me. That's my special offer for nice. people listening to this podcast. Only. I've tried to find that dog gif in yeah. I actively searched for the you know, the German Shepherd dog GIF. Yeah. So hard. I I'll send it to you. I've send got it. send it to me. I've got it. I'm gonna use it That's all good. the time. Just for things that don't make any sense to use it with even. It's it's a great gif. It is a good gif. Um where you can find no gifts is the morningbell.com.au. Uh, they have stopped accepting submissions and are closed for the year. They will let you know when they're open and what's coming up on that front, taking a bit of time off. Um, but the podcast will keep trucking. Um, you can find all the podcast archives on the page. We'll be updating the page at the end of the year with a new photo and layout and stuff. So that's exciting. Um, me, you can find me at the pen of Joel on Twitter. Uh, the pen com is where I talk about all kinds of things from topics like cultural appropriation to things like video games and complaining about the witcher and you know just anything that comes to my <laughs> mind. So it's not a very well marketable site, but hey, <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> um, anyway, thank you very much for listening and we hope to see you on the next episode.